0: These days, the news is full of wildfires, mudslides, earthquakes, and all kinds of natural disasters. In addition to workplace shootings and violence on the rise, this week we want to talk about are you and your hospital team prepared in the event of an unforeseen emergency? This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And without a doubt, one of the toughest topics that we will ever confront in veterinary medicine is a catastrophe, a crisis, some type of unforeseen calamity that puts you and your patients and your colleagues and everyone you know at risk. And this week, we want to talk about what are we doing to prepare our teams and ourselves in the event of some sort of disaster, either human or natural. But before we talk about all of those disasters and what you should be doing to prep for it, as always, I am one of your well-prepped co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward.
1: And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser.
0: And Becky, you have been prepping now uh, since December. How are you doing? How's the recovery going?
1: I was gonna say, like, I feel like a little more of a sitting duck than as prepared as you (laughs) seem to be. (laughs) Uh, But good, you know, it's 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 going and it's good, and I continue to get a lot of support, and I, I just keep saying I have a really loud cheering section, and that's just amazing. So. Uh, I'm grateful for that.
0: Well, Viewfinders, again, don't hesitate to drop her a wishing you well email, uh, veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. But this week, Becky, we want to talk about something that's in the news a lot lately, uh, and that is what happens in a workplace environment when violence occurs, right? And, and I also want to extend this conversation, Viewfinders, to natural disasters. And, and Becky, you know, I think you really kind of sparked this whole discussion, and it, it really was around the, okay, we've talked about this topic, before, and maybe even some folks out there have SOPs on what they should do if a shooter arrives or there's some kind of violent outbreak or if a mudslide is headed their way. But too often we aren't, aren't practicing it, right? We're not doing the drills and the prep work.
1: I think, like, never, you know. <laughs> okay. and, and it's funny because, you know, if you're aha accredited, you have a disaster plan. Like, that's part of the accreditation. And I'm sure a lot of non accredited hospitals have a disaster plan. I kind of think about, though, like, one, how familiar are are we with the disaster plan? Do we is it part of our training programs? And then, like you said, are we practicing it? You know, like I think about nowadays, kids do active shooter drills in school. They do fire drills. When I was a kid, we did tornado drills because of where we live. Um, it, it, and like even um, you know, bare, just barely, I just barely missed it. But the Cold War drills, you right. know, yeah, that <laughs> you was go me. under yeah. your desk in case of right, like in case bombs were getting drop. And so there's you know this this thing about practicing, creating muscle memory, rehearsing because when your brain is not working because you're scared to death, your muscle memory has to kick in and say I know what to do, I've done it before. This is this is how we go. And <clears throat> when I'm lecturing, I always use an example of like hey, how many of you in here caught on fire? That has backfired on me a few times to where I get a few hands and that's very awkward. But most of the time people have not been caught on fire but there everyone in the room can tell me to stop drop and roll and right. so i asked them like why how do you know that that's what you're supposed to do and they well it was drilled in my head as a kid and as a kid i practiced and as a, as kids everything we wore was very flammable right so it was right. much right. more important back then but like it just sticks in my mind and you know everything from are we practicing emergencies with our patients to are we practicing emergencies with our clinic and how we respond is literally a matter of life and death.
0: Yeah. And viewfinders too. I also don't want you to feel guilty or somehow embarrassed if you haven't been doing these drills, because look, I'm as guilty as anyone, uh, as if you've followed the the podcast for, you know, the past seven years plus, or, or even some of my lectures, you know, it's no secret. I I was the, uh, the, the victim, I guess you would say, of uh, two um, folks who who came in with the guns drawn and, you know, pointing at me and threatening uh, to shoot me and, and do me serious harm as in not being on the planet anymore. But regardless, well, I guess I'd be on the planet, Becky. I just wouldn't be conscious on the planet. You know what I'm saying? Who knows? Who knows what happens after that happens? But regardless, um, what we did immediately after that first event, Becky, was we, you know, we wrote up a whole protocol and we began practicing it. But then, I'll be honest with you, after a few years, we kind of stopped. It's like the Cold War, you know, yeah. um, nuclear bomb drills. We don't do those anymore, so we kind of forgot them. So you may be in a similar situation out there. And so what I'm going to say uh, is, a, it might be time to dust off those old SOPs and maybe, you know, say, can we actually practice this physically? Because Becky Becky mentioned the fact that using your Physicality actually builds in muscle memory. But I'm going to tell you, Becky, there's another secret to this and why we did drill a lot of different things. Again, we lived in a hurricane area. You know, we had, you know, potential workplace violence, but drilling also keeps it at the forefront of your mind. And I think that helps prevent certain issues, right? I mean, I can't prevent a mudslide or a hurricane, but I can maybe de escalate a situation if I'm kind of thinking about it. Does that make sense, Becky?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Your mind is on a certain track and it's like, in a problem solving mode and it has the ability to say things are not going normal. What are, what do I need to do? Instead of being completely caught off guard and thinking, how would I even start to deal with this? And how do I protect my patients? How do I protect my clients? How do I protect my coworkers? How do I protect myself? And those are a lot of things to choose from all at one time. I think that we have gotten better in this profession because like you said, you know, we have drugs and people do come in and, 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 Rob veterinary clinics, but it's not prominent. It's not prevalent. You know, when you go to become a banker, you go through training to know what to do if somebody comes and robs you. Even at a convenience store, you go through training in case someone comes in and robs you. So you have actual training that you have to complete. Um, And and I just think we talk about it or like, oh, well, what would we do? Or hey, if there was this, oh, well, you would just do this, turn all the dogs out in the yard or whatever, whatever. And it's it's not something that we actually stop our day and and work through um, in a way that w- what if that SOP you wrote isn't actually gonna work and you right, didn't realize right. it because you've never tried it, you know? So we running through it, running through the drills, running through the motions is going to give you an opportunity to say, hey, we have a big gap here in Um, how we're handling this or what's going to happen with this. Who's going to do this? You know, that's another big thing is when there's not a designated individual, you know, they say when there's an emergency, you point at one person and you say, you call 911, you go get help, right? You have to designate someone because if you say someone call 911, Everyone thinks the other person's going to do it.
0: Right. So I,
1: how do we make sure within our clinic, those things are assigned?
0: I, I love this so much. And viewfinders, I'll tell you, from the beginning of my career, one of the things that did frighten me the most, Becky, was a fire in our facility, right? Because we've got all yeah. these different patients and different moving parts and and even volatile you know, compounds. we got oxygen tanks and all, all kind of stuff. Right. right? So, so that was always kind of something we did drill. And I'll tell you, when we were in our first small clinic, it was kind of an easy fire drill. And again, I was kind of a parent paranoid practice owner back in the day, but we could, you oh, know, we, wow. li- we only had a handful of cages and so we could easily, but see, here's the thing is assigning folks so that they knew kind of what to do, right? So you guys are going to be in charge of cleaning out the uh, the uh, hospital cages. You guys are going to be doing the kennel. You guys are going to go get the, the fire extinguisher, right? And even knowing where the fire extinguisher, how to even use it. I mean, I'll never forget. We used to, yes. once a year, we would have our local volunteer fire department come and just teach us how to use a fire extinguisher. It took 30 minutes. Everybody loved it. It was kind of fun. But, you know, that's a yeah. valuable skill. I, w- I would argue right now, if you are listening to this podcast and don't know how to operate a standard ABC fire extinguisher, you need to learn. Right. Because that could save a, a lot of lives. Well, but just if, practicing- you don't,
1: if you think you know how to use it, that's a problem, though. Right. Because <laughs> right, right. if you ask me, I would be like, yeah, you like pull the thing. And then you squeeze and shoot and sweep, right? But I've never physically done it. I, I love that you have yeah. the fire, like, and I've always been a proponent of that in management. Is so let's get some hands-on practice.
0: And they kick. <laughs> I'll tell you from firsthand experience, yeah. they, they've got a little kick to them. So you kind of have to be prepared to that, or or you could you could potentially drop it or lose it or whatever. But, but regardless, guys, it's that drilling, right? And then kind of assigning. And and I'll tell you when we moved into the main big facility back in '99, uh, we quickly realized, oh wow, this is a lot harder to empty out if there's some kind of unforeseen emergency right because there's there's different we had different parts of the building different you know, pieces upstairs and a downstairs. And, and, and we realized, boy, we've really got to give this some thought. And we did, and we worked it out, but I would encourage you right now. I'm not going to tell you how you should do it because there's really no right or wrong. There's your way, but you need to be focusing on how you should do this in your clinic and then drill it. You really should. Now, the same thing happened after the first time that, um, you know, I, I was threatened with a gun and we started looking at what would we do? Who would call the police? Who would maybe try to help, you know, like what would we do? And and I'll tell you, there's a lot of question marks behind all of those. And I, again, there's no right or wrong. I would encourage you to work with your local law enforcement agencies. We did. Um, and back then, you know, Becky, it was really kind of a, a call nine, 911 and get out of the way. But, you know, you might have some other needs. And so I would really encourage you to actually say, okay, here's what would happen and then walk through it. Because but Becky, I mean, you said it so right. It is a muscle memory thing. You know, if you think you can just sort of think about it and do it. You know, I was, I was giving a lecture in Ontario or Toronto, rather at the Ontario vet medical. And I was saying, you know, there's a real power in visualization, Becky, but if I visualize me completing an Ironman, I am going to fail at the Ironman. I have to go out and actually do the physicality. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the yeah. missing part of this whole prepping for some kind of disaster.
1: Oh, absolutely you know and I, I know I gave Hive a lot of credit this past summer they brought in an right, right. police officer after the shooting that had happened with the between the client and um, and one of the workers um, to kind of help facilitate a conversation about what would you do and how to help implement these things in, in practice and it's becoming more and more real right Like we hear more stories that involve veterinary clinics, whether it's disgruntled employees, whether it's disgruntled clients, Uh, Whether it's people who want drugs, I mean, it's it's we hear more and more, and like I said, I think we talk about like what we would do, or like, well, what would you do? And and it's funny, it it always makes me think of um the captain Sully, Captain Sullenberger thing, where it was like they were finding him at fault for not making it back to the airport, and then. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the movie, it's been out for a year. So it's not a real spoiler alert. The the deal for him was basically you didn't account for the decision-making time. I had to make a decision. So yep, if I knew immediately to turn around and just that I knew what happened, but the 30 seconds it took for me to make a decision landed us on the Hudson instead of back at the airport. And I think that's the thing is it's a 30-second life or death. It's a 30-second normal situation to now what? So great run the scenario everybody's in a staff meeting and something happens okay now we're in surgery and something happens right, okay now right. we're in exams and something happens okay now we're at lunch and there's only two people in the building and something happens okay now it's the weekend and you're here doing kennels and something happens cuz we just run these perfect scenarios you know that's why fire drills in school don't happen every monday at 8 you know right, how will you right. fire drill if you're in gym how will you fire drill in art so you have to find all these different ways of doing it. And I mean, you hear these stories. It happens. You know, I've talked to plenty of technicians who have been like, oh, gosh, we had a small fire. We had a patient under anesthesia. We had to roll them outside. You right, so know, the right. vet's doing the best they can to sew the body up so it's not out in the open. And we roll out oxygen. Do you have a transportation tank nearby that you can switch that that patient to? Like. and, And all of that stuff takes so much time. And what we know is an emergency, you don't have time. And it just scares me when I think that we have these pseudo plans that really only give us comfort in the idea that it's there, but without real practicality to it, without any practice to it, and without any kind of evaluation of scenarios.
0: Right. And again, viewfinders, Becky just really illustrated an important thing. And that is, you know, we're thinking in terms of like somebody coming in with a gun or a hurricane, but what if your power goes out in the middle of surgery? You know, that again was why we had backups for everything. And we're in the, the hurricane alley of the U.S. So it's we're used to this kind of thing, but you're in Iowa or wherever. I mean, the power can go out right in the middle of a surgery. What do you do? And I think that's a great thing to drill and to practice and to and to prepare for. Uh, Becky, let's also kind of you know um, put it back in, into some perspective uh, as far as training, because I think a lot of of places probably are training, as you've mentioned. You mentioned banking. Uh, I was you know with some of my family going to the hospital and overheard a conversation last year between a couple of nurses talking about an upcoming drill they had for an active shooter type of event. So I mean, they're actually you know practicing this stuff, like you know, and, and that was kind of the conversation was, you know, like basically they were complaining, <laughs> I'll be honest, Becky, you know, yeah. they're kind of saying, you know, we got to do this thing, you know, have you read it up? No, I didn't watch the video either. Um, But the reality is, you know, the hospital is saying this is something that could happen and we want to be prepared. Now, as far as I know, in our area, we've never had this situation, but they're preparing for it. Um, Just yesterday, um, my wife was uh, shopping in Wilmington, North Carolina at a store and um, there was a snatch and grab event and it was kind of, uh, she was frightened at the time, you know, because you speak just came in and grab a bunch of stuff and run out. But what she said was most interesting was the fact that the store personnel didn't seem to have any idea what to do. You know, I mean like there was and and they were all kind of like, well, what do we do now? You know, because they grab all this stuff and run out. And literally, you know, somebody's like, call nine (laughs) one one. You know, yeah, so you could tell that they probably hadn't thought about it or prepared or whatever. Uh, nobody was hurt, nobody was injured. I mean, it was just one of those things like you kind of see on TV where they run in and grab stuff and run out, but um, frightening nonetheless. But do you have what, what would happen in your vet hospital, right? Becky, I mean, what happened if somebody just came in and started grabbing stuff off of whatever? I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, sure, they could what if they bust in their back door and start grabbing dogs, right? Right? <laughs> I mean, for sure. That's the other thing, is most hospitals have several entrances. and... You know, there's just so much to it that could possibly go wrong. And I think the most important thing is the neuroscience here. And I think that's what we have to respect because we're science people and we like science. And the fact of the matter is, is your brain can only do so much at once. and So when you are so scared, when you are having an emotional firing, everything else shuts down because all of your energy is going to the emotional center of your brain. And so when something is scary, just like yesterday with your... Like, thank God everybody was okay. But the idea that these folks don't are standing around, don't know what to do is super scary because it means that they were scared. They're just kind of standing there, their brains are shut down. And the obvious thing is call 911, but you're in such a pickle you can't even think to call 911. And that's right. where you lose really precious time. Like really precious time. People smash and grab stealing children too. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. and that's like the standing around time is where we lose so much. We have to be ready to act and respond. Um, You know, and I think about even like the clip that we see on the Internet where the young lady was in a domestic abuse situation and she talked her boyfriend into taking the dog to the vet and she was able to pass off a note to the vet staff to call the police. I mean, even in those scenarios, those those that team was they were heroes and they did the right thing and they responded well. But when you watch the video, they are kind of looking at each other like,
0: what do we do?
1: What is this? Do Mm -hmm. we really like have you even just had a conversation with your team about. How comfortable you need to be to call the police. Like, no matter what, call the police. Like, should we call the police? Do we bother them? There's just almost like this like feeling inside of like, oh, I'm not sure we don't want to bother them. We don't want to do something stupid. We don't wanna overreact. No, 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 no. Please overreact. And then we'll deal with the rest later. And so I just think we really have to have like, yes, these SOPs and we have to practice and we have to drill, but also talk about it. Talk about the why, talk about the different ways it could go and how you're gonna deal with it. Because again. From a science standpoint, when your brain is overwhelmed with emotion, you're just not going to be able to perform. And that's where you've got to have the system that just overrides. And it really, truly could be uh, the well being of your patients, your colleagues. I I mean, it, it really, truly is life or death. It sounds dramatic, but, and maybe it's a one in a million, but like, I mean, I don't want to play those odds.
0: Right, right. Because yeah, when you lose that one, you lose. Uh, and again, viewfinders. Indeed. I think you know we've we focused a lot on workplace violence. You know, from the outside, but don't forget, you can also unfortunately have a disgruntled employee, right? So have we even considered that possibility? Uh, I also want you to consider power outages, water outages. I mean, I know that stuff sounds silly, but fire and and all these things can happen suddenly and quickly. And unless you've actually gone through the the drill, so to speak, you don't have that muscle memory and everybody kind of panics. And, and, I, and I will say, Becky, you know, I think that's probably what happens in a lot of those situations is because nobody has considered what to do and how to do it. Nobody has practiced it. And so, you know, sometimes you have luckily a hero who will step up and direct and make things happen. But I would argue that more often than not, Becky, you know, things just sort of fall apart and, you know, then it's just kind of whatever will be, will be. So I would really encourage you to drill other things. So what I would recommend that you do if you're listening to this today is I'd say, wherever I am, what are the big natural disasters that could occur? What about power outages? What about, you know, what whatever, right? What about workplace violence from without and within? You know, what are those things that we should actually address in our clinic? And then develop a little protocol, write out a little bullet list of the steps you should take, and, and then work with your team to say, does that step make sense? Should this be above this or below that? And then actually practice it, right? Because what you're going to find, like we did when we moved from one facility to the other, that the old way of kind of Emptying the hospital quickly was no longer going to work. Now that sounds obvious, but you know we had to then figure out what would work. And I think that's where that's where the difference, that's where the the lives are going to be saved. Becky,
1: yeah, you know it's funny you said water, and I know you're thinking about flooding, but it made me think about like go through your clinic today and ask everyone if they know where the main water shutoff is. Good point. Yeah, great one. You know, just when a pipe bursts and your clinic is filling with water, um, does anybody know how to respond to that? Turn that off? Make that stop? Um, there's so many... <laughs> I feel a little right. paranoid now, but like there's so many things that could go wrong that you're not ready for. And it, we... Are so prepared in other places in our lives and then not in others, you know. And so having that conversation with your team, making it part of that training protocol. And then I think this is a great topic in general for just socialization of like learning and knowing and having your your you know finger on the pulse of what emergencies are happening, what things do happen. And then the the other part of this is debriefing, right? And so when you do run those drills and everybody feels silly and everybody laughs and you got to do it, you got to role play somebody robbing you, have fun with it, make it a good time and then debrief. What went wrong? What went right? What would we need to do in the future? And I just feel like if it's an area where hopefully where you're overly prepared, you are less likely to have it happen because... It's almost that thing where you don't, you know, as especially as women, right, we're taught to carry our keys between our our hands. We're taught not to be distracted on our phone. You know, we're taught how to look alert so that we don't become prey. And so it's like, because we walk around proactive, we aren't faced with that situation because it doesn't come to us because we're ready for it. And and a perpetrator could see that, right? Like, oh, she's not a target. She's looking she's made eye contact she clearly has one of those pointy cat ear things that'll stab me in the eyeballs you know all of those things so then you don't get attacked I feel like it's a little bit of the same thing like people who are looking out to do bad things are looking for people who are not prepared for them to do bad things and so when it is very clear you have your act together and it is very clear you know what to do I think you are less of a quote-unquote sitting duck
0: yeah. I love that. And, and again, guys, don't just focus on the violence part of it. Look at the fire in, in particular. Sure. I, I remember one of the first things we did and, and guys, again, reach out to your local uh, law enforcement, fire, EMS, all those folks there. I, I, we have found them incredibly helpful and willing to help uh, over the years. But yes. I remember one of the um, first times we did it in one of our clinics, Becky, one of the fire department folks uh, said, you know what you really should do? I know it's not code and you you're not required, but you should have a fire extinguisher near every one of your oxygen containers and um you know we had a couple of portables and we had the main you know so we had a um back in that day we still had tanks and you know it, that made a lot of sense to me why wouldn't we just put one over there because in the event something's bad that's kind of a last stand like I don't want those things overheating and blowing up or whatever right you know what I'm yeah. saying Becky so so like that thought that was a great suggestion he was like yeah just add them over here it's real easy and that way if you ever need it, it's right there and you know and and I kind of always envision that as you know okay make sure we protect those tanks <laughs> I don't again, and just paranoid. And we're not, we're not trying to make you paranoid. We're trying to make you prepared. And I think there's a huge difference, right? Um, even, you know, Becky, just back in, in real world terms, like, you know, Ironman and marathon, all that stuff. I mean, one of the things that I would always do both with myself and with some of the folks I, I worked with as a coach, you know, it's like say, okay, let's talk about the things that could go wrong also. So we would do one little exercise where, okay, how do you, you know, can you fix a flat? I mean, I'm still surprised at how many triathletes really have never done, you know, fixed a flat. Yeah. Um, you know, what happens if you uh, lose your water or your nutrition? Like, well, what are your next steps? Just always being prepared. Again, not catastrophic thinking, just saying, okay, if, if, because, and I'll tell you, this stuff happens. Like uh, one uh, Ironman for me, Becky, I had a um, I used to run a lot of my calories in a very concentrated form in one water bottle on the frame of my bike. And, uh, out on early on the the bike, there was a, a crossing of a railroad and it just, you know, I was going fast and you, bam and there goes my nutrition for the whole race or for the bike leg, hey. <laughs> you know? And luckily I had, uh, two contingency plans, uh, including a couple of extra gels. I always stuff in my Jersey. Uh, and I was able to do just fine. I mean, it wasn't ideal, but you know what I'm saying? I was, prepped. And, and I know that's a, a tangent for you guys, but it's just those simple things like saying, okay, I thought through it. I did have some backups. It wasn't perfect, but it got me through it. And these kind of things could just maybe save your life or a life of a colleague.
1: I was thinking about that when you said you moved to a clinic with two stories. And then mm-hmm. I thought to myself, did you have any way for anybody to get out of that second story if the fire was in the stairwell? Um, or would they be trapped up there? It's it just there's so many little nuances right. um, that we need to be thinking of and that we need. And 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 also, I think, too, our facilities are all so different. We've got strip mall hospitals. We've right. got old houses that are converted into animal clinics. We've got big, beautiful industrial buildings that are animal clinics. Like, like it's all so different that there isn't one answer. And like you said, we all deal with different natural disasters. I think there's some that are pretty ubiquitous, in that, and I think fire is it. If yeah, you're not for sure. prepared for a fire in your clinic, like that, and, and we've talked about this one a couple times, there is there is nothing that scares me more for everyone involved, and especially pets. And it even made it brought up to me, how do we even as so much as keeping in touch with our clients? Do you know who is in the hospital? Do you have a roster? Right. If your clinic caught on fire? Would you know every animal that was in the hospital in the boarding facility? And would you have a way to contact their parents? And for a lot of us, if it's still paper, probably definitely not. If you are on clinic software, maybe. But do we have storage in the cloud? Do you have a backup somewhere? And again, that sounds paranoid. But in the moment, when something terrible happens, looking back and saying, boy, I really wish X, Y, or Z feels awful. And so just sitting here from kind of a proactive approach, it's like, how can I go overboard so that no matter what, I know I'm going to come out okay?
0: Yeah. And Becky, I'll tell you, it's so funny that you mentioned that. It's those little things that can really derail your day. Back when we really started going heavy into credit card payments or debit card payments in, in vet hospitals, there were so many times and I used to give these lectures about, you know, preparing for them uh, unpreparable. And uh, basically what I would say is what would happen if your internet goes down and you can't take payments anymore? Because see, that was a real issue for those of us that were in that transition period. And so we had to yeah. teach all of our staff, our front staff in particular, how to use the old uh, little card imprinter. <laughs> you guys probably don't know what I'm talking about, but you used to put your credit card and had this carbon paper and you would like and you would uh, slide it over and it would make an imprint of it. And then you write out a receipt on it. And that would, that was how we used to do credit cards before we had all this funky uh, internet stuff. But what would you do today? Like what would happen if your internet goes down and it's happening to you guys that are listening today and and there are backup ways to do it. And you need to figure it out because otherwise, you know, if you think, if you think you, well, we'll call you back later. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and yeah. we'll let you pay for it. That's probably not going to work for everybody. So again, there are all these little things you need to prepare for. You need to think about what your where your vulnerabilities are in your clinic, and then what you can do to, to better prepare. Any last bits of, bits of advice, Becky, as you uh, as we kind of wrap up today's conversation?
1: I think m- mostly it's just that no, we like love you guys and care about you guys, and that's where this comes from. And in our experiences or the stories that we've heard. Or, or the lives that we live. We we see these situations come up and we want to talk about best practices across veterinary medicine in every aspect. And we talk about great client care. We talk about great customer care. We talk about great colleague care. And this is one of those tangible things that we can do to make sure we are doing our best in the time that we hopefully will never need. And, and I hope that none of this advice ever is used. I hope that you can go put in every SOP and I hope you can drill and practice and never use it. But if you do need it and you have to use it, I truly believe that these thoughts, these conversations and this practice is, is life saving. So I really hope that the seriousness of it, the importance of it is impressed upon folks. And, and I really hope that the time that you and I take to have this conversation will, will be impressed upon folks in some way because um, we are prepared for so much when it comes to our patients, but not for ourselves.
0: That's right, guys. We would love to hear from you. What are you preparing for? Where do you think your biggest risk and liabilities and vulnerabilities are in your practice? And do you drill? Do you practice? Or is this something that somebody just writes on a piece of paper and says, oh, make sure you read that piece of paper and, and we're done. I really think this is a, a, good, a good conversation to have because I think Becky always says let's get in front yeah, of it. Yeah, <laughs> this is another yeah, one of those let's. areas that we want to stay in front of. So Becky, how can they join a conversation, start a conversation, propel a conversation if they want?
1: Well, I'd love to hear from you guys on Facebook or Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can always shoot us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com.
0: That's right, guys. We can't wait to see you. Uh, I will be out at Western uh, coming up. I know Becky, unfortunately, not going to be able to make it just this yet, right, Becky? But soon enough, hopefully, fingers crossed.
1: I am not going to make it this year. I'm very uh. sad to say. Um, but I will gently plug... Um, the veterinary industry Giving Tree once again is sponsored by Chewy Animal Health, etc. And Verback jumped on board. We are having an amazing Denim and Diamonds fundraising event on Saturday the seventeenth. So if you are going to be in Vegas that early, um, head over to VeterinaryGivingTree.com. Or shoot me an email or head over to Facebook and find us. But there is a really exciting, really fun fundraiser going on on Saturday. We would love to have you guys come out.
0: Love it so much, guys. Until next week, stay prepared and we will talk to you soon. Bye.